Hi everyone, so we recorded this episode in response to the breaking news last night about Trump being indicted. I just moved house um, the day before. My studio was not remotely set up in my new house yet. I couldn't find my mic. All kinds of problems occurred, so the audio quality is kind of lousy in this episode. I apologize for that. But we wanted to record something that was uh, about this important event. So I hope you enjoy it, and next time we'll have better audio. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, a podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hi everyone, welcome to this emergency episode of America Explained. And the reason that we're bringing you this emergency episode is that yesterday Donald Trump was indicted. The timing seems to have come as a surprise even to him and his legal team. He was asked to surrender to the authorities yesterday, but he claimed that security considerations mean that he can't do that until next Tuesday. So it's going to be next Tuesday until we know the exact nature of the criminal charges against him. We do know that there are apparently over 30 of those charges. They seem to stem from the Stormy Daniels hush money case. They have been filed in New York. And we're going to find out exactly what those are at his arraignment next Tuesday. But this is kind of weird that this we've been expecting it, but also it was a real surprise that it happened um, last night. I don't know if you were also surprised by it, Catherine, when it happened. Yeah, I mean, I was because I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago when Trump's team announced that they thought he would be indicted, we were sort of expecting it for a few days. But then now it's been almost two weeks. And I think none of us were really expecting this to happen right now. Yeah, and I think that um, there's been a little bit of psychological warfare going on here, both from the Trump team and from um, Alvin Bragg, who's the DA in New York, because it was actually Trump who claimed several weeks ago that he was imminently going to be indicted. And then when that didn't happen, you suddenly have all these rounds of media coverage saying like, oh, they've backed off from the indictment or, oh, it's not going to happen. But it was only actually Trump's claim that, uh, about the timing. And then I almost feel like Bragg's just trying to get back back at him this time because they had announced shortly before we found out about the indictment that they were not going to be hearing any more Trump-related um, stuff on this grand jury for a month. So that made it sound like nothing was going to happen for a month. And then suddenly the, the indictment came out. So I think it, it really was a surprise to Trump and the people around him. He supposedly, according to reports, is calm. He doesn't welcome the indictment. If you listen to some commentary in the media, people sometimes make it sound like this is such a good thing for him that he must want it to happen. I don't think that's true. I don't think Donald Trump is someone who welcomes the prospect of maybe going to jail. But he is going to try to milk this for every bit of political gain that he can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also maybe it seems like maybe he didn't realize the full seriousness of things until it's now sort of suddenly happened. And we might get into this later, but this also isn't really the most serious of the investigations against him either. Yeah. And I mean, so, yeah, if we back up a little bit, I mean, it's insane that, you know, when I hear the news, Donald Trump is indicted, I immediately have to go and read to see which of the four or five like major criminal investigations into Donald Trump that are underway right now that he has been indicted in. So there's the document case where he stole those documents from the White House and then kept them 
at Marawago, despite being asked to them back. There's a case in Fulton County, Georgia, which is to do with his attempts to interfere in the presidential election in Georgia in 2020. Then there's the January 6th investigation, which is into his role in the insurrection. And then there's this one, which is this, this case in New York, um, which I guess we'll talk more about the exact details of that case in a minute. But this is really, the, like you say, it's the least important of them, although it is still very important. It's very unprecedented for a former president to be um, to have committed these acts or the acts that he's alleged to have committed anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of relativity with Trump, isn't there, that like he does such bad things that then, you know, he went the, the smaller things that he do, does, even though it's so much worse than, than any other politician in American history, it seems less bad in comparison. Yeah, exactly. And this, as you said, is pretty unprecedented. And this is the first time that a former president has ever been charged with a crime like this. And so to get into like the history of it a bit, um, Nixon, he was pardoned by his successor and vice president, President Ford, before any charges were ever brought against him. And that was pretty controversial at the time and also fairly unpopular. But now history has kind of sided with Ford that it was the right thing to do at the time. But Trump isn't, well, he won't be the first president to have ever been arrested because actually this is kind of funny that Ulysses S. Grant was arrested while he was in office back in 1872 because he was speeding in his carriage down some road in Washington, D.C., but he was never charged with any crime. Yeah, that is kind of a funny story. And as far as I understand, he he just skits caught. He didn't turn up. And then, you know, obviously, I guess the, 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 they weren't going to come after him. That was probably a civil offense rather than a criminal offense as well. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely a misdemeanor, whereas this could be a felony, as we'll find out next week, probably. Right. So that's the that's the weird thing about this case then. So just to kind of get down into, into the specifics of this case. So everyone probably remembers or maybe they don't remember because like Donald Trump does so much stuff that you just can't remember it all. But in 2016, he paid off Stormy Daniels, a porn actress, to keep quiet about an affair that they had had. And Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, already was convicted for this offense. Now, this was illegal because Trump, in so doing this, basically made a a contribution to his own campaign. He used his money to do something that advanced his presidential campaign, and that was illegal because he wasn't allowed to, to use this money for that purpose. So Michael Cohen already did time for this. He served three years in prison for, for this offense and other offenses that were associated with it. And in that indictment, um, when it was handed down, I actually forget exactly what year that was. I, I want to say 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump was named as an unindicted co-conspirator in that case. So he wasn't indicted at the time because he was president and you can't indict the president is kind of the legal consensus or it's very difficult to indict the president. So they just didn't do it. DOJ subsequently, basically under Bill Barr, just decided they weren't going to pursue this, you know, for obvious reasons, because Bill Barr just acted like he was Trump's personal lawyer when he was attorney general. What's happening now is that Trump is being indicted under New York state law rather than federal law for basically offenses that relate to what happened here. 
And as far as we can tell, what he's been charged with is business fraud, where basically this money that he used to he like lied to the tax authorities when he when he filed information about how that money had been used. And so as far as I understand, this could end up as either a misdemeanor or a felony. And and this the the way that the DA is trying to build the felony case is somewhat unprecedented and unusual. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where this case could get a little bit tricky um, because as you mentioned, it's currently a misdemeanor. In order to make it a felony, it would need a second crime tied to it, which again, we'll find out once the charges are released, but it could be the falsifying business records plus intent to commit or cover up another crime, which would be violating the New York state election laws. But I mean, in the US, we have federal and state laws. And so it's also a bit complicated because it's violating the New York state election laws, but it's for a federal election campaign. So it's not really been tested ever before this type of legal case. And even with Michael Cohen, even though he was convicted of this, he pled guilty, if I'm not mistaken. And so the case was never really, the legal theory of it hasn't been tested before. So I think that's where things could get a bit complicated. And yeah, I'm curious if this is thrown out because it's on this novel legal footing, the impact that that might have for Trump. And I think, yeah, there could be some serious implications if that happens. Well, yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about the way that the people around Trump and then people in the sort of broader conservative movement are reacting to this. So they really focus on this novelty in the legal theory, and they focus on what they characterize as the fairly inconsequential nature of the crime in in their opinion. So when you hear them tell the story, what's happening here is that Alvin Bragg, who is a Democrat district attorney, because these district attorney elections, you know, this might be unusual to people in Europe, but district attorneys are elected. These are partisan elections, you know, where as you go into a campaign as a DA, basically saying, if you elect me as the the DA for this part of New York, I'm going to prioritize fighting this type of crime and that type of crime. And and people make uh, judgments based on that, who they want the DA to be. So Alvin Bragg is, he's a Democrat. He's a fairly progressive prosecutor. So Again, that language can be confusing, but what that basically means is that he um, de-emphasizes harsh penalties for minor offenses, that he wants to um, tackle what he sees as over-incarceration in America. Um, and and they, so, you know, he's kind of cast as this crusading Democrat progressive. He's, he, his election was supported in part by uh, um, a PAC, which was funded partly by George Soros. So, you know, the right talks about this as well. So he's been painted as a highly partisan, highly biased DA who is pursuing essentially a political witch hunt against Donald Trump. And the, the, the novel nature of the legal theory obviously you know, creates the risk that this case may fall through and then more people are likely to believe that narrative about Bragg. Yeah, exactly. But I think that narrative you could also question because 
when Bragg entered office as DA, there were already some investigations into Trump and he, you know, started to pull back on some of those. And I think some of his um, staff even resigned and he faced some criticism for starting to pull back from these investigations. So obviously it seems to me at least that if he's going for these charges, that he believes that there is enough evidence and that it's serious enough to, um, you know, bring to court. And there's also been some people on the right, more of the center right. Um, I think Peggy Noonan wrote an op-ed about this in the Wall Street Journal that, you know, they shouldn't be focusing, we shouldn't be focusing on this crime for Trump because it's not as serious. But, you know, these are separate crimes and separate jurisdictions. So I think that, you know, they all have to be viewed individually and separately. And even if this isn't the most serious, that doesn't mean that this DA shouldn't pursue it necessarily. Right. And it, it's it's very strange to me to say that presidents should be allowed to commit some crimes, but not others. I mean, isn't the idea that everyone is equal before the law? And I don't actually hear most of the people who are defending Trump saying that they think he's innocent. I actually, you know, I actually don't think I've seen anyone say Trump is innocent. What they say instead is that essentially he should be allowed to get away with it. And I mean, that's just, I think, a, a very strange and, and obviously kind of partisan motivated point of view. Yeah. And it's also, I think, a really bad precedent to set. And, you know, we already, I mentioned Nixon before, so there has been some precedent for this, but I don't think it should be precedent for the president to be immune from any crime. Um, and that's not healthy for the country and the future of the country as well. Yeah. And I mean, so I, I saw this, this, this take that I think is really spectacularly terrible from um, Matt Tybee. If you don't know anything about Matt Tybee, congratulations. I'm not, I'm not going to ruin your day by telling you about him. But he said essentially that um, he, this was in a tweet. And he said that it sets a terrible precedent to actually prosecute this crime because if presidents think that they are going to be um, indicted once they leave office, that they will have every single incentive to try to remain in office for as long as possible, and that will transform America into a dictatorship. Now, I think this is just completely ludicrous because, you know, I mean, firstly, nothing will transform America into a dictatorship faster than presidents thinking they can commit any crime that they want. And secondly, I mean, the, the actual mechanisms that presidents have to attempt to stay in office in the United States are virtually non-existent. I mean, I never, on January the 6th, I wasn't worried that Donald Trump's going to succeed in staying in office forever. You know, I was worried that the country was going to fall apart and, and be ripped apart by, by the violence of his protesters and his supporters. So, I mean, it's just, it should be a fundamental principle that presidents are accountable for the crimes that they commit when they're when they're in office and it's not just i mean the example that you mentioned in nixon and ford is a really good one i mean we can also talk about barack obama and george w bush and and i mean when obama came into office he he said that we're not going to pursue uh, criminal investigations against the people in the cia and these other agencies that were involved in torture programs under under the bush administration i think that was also a huge mistake you know it shouldn't just be that if you serve in the executive branch and a president tells you to do something 
or you are the president and you do it, that that makes it okay because then you're just um, making presidents think, as I think many of them do, that they can get away with anything that they want. Yeah, and I think both with the Nixon example and the Bush and you know Iraq and torture example, the reason they that you know Ford pardoned Nixon was in the name of you know bringing the country together and not causing further division. But I think in neither of these instances did that actually happen. <laughs> so I think you could question whether you know that is even if it's a worthy motive for wanting to pardon them. I don't think it actually is effective at all. Yeah, I, I I completely agree, you know, and I mean, particularly Ford's pardon of Nixon did so much to destroy the trust of Americans in, in their institutions and in the presidency. So, you know, yeah, I think truth and reconciliation, that's that's the way, you know, that we should try to go, not allowing um, presidents to cover this, this stuff up. Now, Trump also, I mean, this is another thing that to me, he, he does so many things that just blow my mind and, and they get passed over because he does so much crazy stuff. But he so he held a rally in Waco, Texas, um, on the 30th anniversary of the um the, the, the standoff that took place there between um the this this sect of the branch Davidians and, and federal law enforcement. And so that he's not really hiding his calls for his supporters to violently resist um, what's happening right now, and 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 again trying to whip people up into hatred and even armed resistance to the U.S. government. Yeah, and I think he's already, or others have already called for protests on Tuesday. Marjorie Taylor Greene, I believe, said she would be attending protests in New York next week. So. Yeah, a lot, the vast majority, it seems, of the Republican Party, those who were loyal to him prior, and even those who are not loyal to him, like some of the other presidential candidates, have really rallied around him a bit, as has, you know, Fox News and other right-wing media that previously was a bit more critical of him at times. But, you know, we had, yeah, so Mike Pence, uh, who might be running for president, we're not sure yet, He said that an indictment on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. And I think he's an interesting case because if he runs for president, he might position himself as someone who did his duty and stood up to Trump a little bit on January 6th. But he also can't afford to Trump's base in the primary. And so he really has no choice but to side with him on this. And DeSantis today or yesterday also said he would refuse to extradite Trump to New York if there was a request, which is obviously very unconstitutional. And Trump has already said that he'll surrender himself on Tuesday. Nikki Haley has said that this indictment is more about revenge than about justice. So all of these other candidates or potential candidates have you know, run to Trump's side, even though they are running against him. Yeah, and I mean, it... It, it reflects the fact that all of these candidates, most of whom personally hate Donald Trump, they don't like him, you know, but they realize that their only path to winning the primary is by winning over a large portion of his voters. And that means that you now just have this, yeah, essentially a chorus from the GOP. Every single primary candidate is forced to talk about Donald Trump. 
And I think that that is going to be a tremendously beneficial thing for Trump in the GOP primary. I mean, every minute that Ron DeSantis has to be talking about how Trump has been persecuted by federal law enforcement is a is a moment that DeSantis is not making the case for himself. So, you know, I my view on this that I've held for a long time is that this helps Trump in the primary a lot, but it probably harms him in the general election. Like, I don't believe that there are hordes of people who were kind of on the fence about Donald Trump, but now he's been indicted, they're definitely going to go out and vote for him. I think that the only people who really, really rallied to his side in this case are people who already were going to be voting for him anyway. And if you didn't like Donald Trump, then this is, or, or you're kind of in the in on the fence about him, this is just another data point in the way that he turns American politics into this chaotic reality TV mess. So I really think that, you know, the the I mean Elon Musk said something like, if this happens, Trump is going to win in a landslide. And I mean I just think that's so, I mean, it's not surprising that that's just a really, really dumb take uh, coming from, from from Elon Musk. But by the way, this is actually the the, the last day, supposedly, that I'm going to have my boy take on Twitter because uh, tomorrow, April Fool's Day, Musk said that he's taking them away from every um, legacy verified user. So it was kind of fitting for me that this was indictment day. I'm glad that I get to use like whatever extra reach that brings to talk about this issue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe we can only hope that it's an April Fool's joke that he's doing, but but we'll see tomorrow, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a bit about the impact for the Republicans, but this will also be interesting on how it helps or does not help the Democrats in 2024, because I think overall, as we've mentioned, if this is portrayed as, if this case ends up being thrown out or something and it's portrayed as a weak, politically motivated case that might not help the democrats very much but if it is or if these other investigations if something happens with regard to those before the elections then maybe it could help them um but i think in general it's not great for trump to be having all of the limelight that he's getting again right now it's not good for the democrats if trump is getting all of this attention again yeah i think i think you also make a great point though that if the case falls through then it's going to really kind of fuel these um, this narrative that this is some kind of persecution. And I mean, you know, Donald Trump seems to have like nine lives when it comes to legal matters, when you look at all the things that he's dodged over the years. And yeah, I definitely don't, um, I'm not sure that this is actually going to result in a, in a conviction. I don't think any of us can know that at this point. So but, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny that before we even know what the charges are, with so much discussion of, of how serious they are, or how serious they aren't, and, and whether they're politically motivated or not. But ultimately, yeah, we've got to wait until next Tuesday and then, you know, have a more substantive conversation about this. All right. So we are going to be back to talk about this in the future, for sure. You can bet on it. Um, also, please consider subscribing to the America Explained newsletter. And that brings you written posts about American politics and foreign policy. This issue gets a lot of coverage there. So you can find a link in the show notes for this episode to subscribe to that. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts if you like the show. And we look forward to seeing you next time. So bye from me. Yeah, thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.